Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Let's open our Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to finish our series today walking through the spiritual armory where God has equipped us for spiritual battle. Today we're going to focus on a powerful partnership in prayer. The Apostle Paul, in the context of Ephesians 6, spent three chapters talking about theological, doctrinal truths that are the foundation of the entire uh, book of Ephesians. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, uh, have a walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then he begins to be very practical as God inspires him to write the remainder of the letter. And, and it culminates and builds toward the spiritual armor that God has given us for the battle that we face as believers who have put our faith and trust in Christ. And he begins to talk about all of the pieces of armor he comes to the end and he begins to talk about the battleground of prayer. And then when he comes to verse 19, it begins with the phrase, and for me. It's as if the Apostle Paul's mind has been consumed with the spiritual needs of the congregation at Ephesus twice. Chapter 1 and chapter 3, he has poured out his heart, talking to them about how he has prayed for them and what he has prayed for them. He has poured his heart out about their standing in Christ and who they are. He pleads with them to pray for all the saints, locally, globally, that would apply. And then, in all humility, he says, and for me. The reality is sometimes the people we think need prayer the least or prayer from us to support them the least are the ones that need it the most. There was a figure going around that 1,500 pastors a month leave the ministry. Somebody has re-evaluated that and said it's only 250 a month. Well, that's still staggering, isn't it? That means even through a year, that I, if my math is right, that'd be like 2,200 pastors falling. That wouldn't be right, would it? So 250 a month, six months, 300, 3,000. Yeah, 3,000. Is that right? Okay, 3,000. Good. That's not good that they fell. It's good that I got the number right. Just think about that. On occasions, it's because they preached a gospel that was man-centered and it caused them to implode. Most occasions, it's because they've removed themselves from a life of prayer and 
doing ministry on autopilot. We could go on and on about the reasons, but there's a target on those in spiritual leadership. One of my friends, Daniel Henderson, tells a story about one of his friends who was on a flight, and he noticed that as the flight took off, this man was praying. Then when they served the meal, this was a long time ago when they served meals, but he, he didn't take a meal. So he thought, well, maybe, you know, he's just not hungry, but he was curious. So Daniel's friend asked this man after the flight landed, uh, sir, I, I noticed you were praying. And he said, yes, I was. And, and I noticed you didn't take a meal. And he said, right, I'm fasting. And he said, are you a Christian? And he laughed and said, no, I'm not. I'm a Satanist. And I'm fasting and praying to Satan for specific high-profile pastors to have a moral failure. Now, in light of that, how persistent are we about praying for those God has placed in spiritual leadership in our lives? If anybody seemed strong, it was the Apostle Paul, correct? But he's saying here in bold letters in this letter and many other occasions in the letters he wrote, I need your prayers. I need your prayers. Howard Hendricks, the wonderful teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary years in, in the past, once said, Satan is very patient. He'll, he'll hide in the weeds and just wait. Till you build influence, you build ministry around you, you have people looking to you. And once you begin to think the success is yours, he'll bring you down. So why do I bring all this up? It sounds like a, a negative thing, but Paul is requesting a positive prayer focus that counteracts those negative things that can happen in the spiritual leader's life. So, so I'm actually saying once again to our church and to you as, as fellow worshipers, I need your prayers. I've been pastoring for 38 years, I believe, and I, I don't want to be a statistic. I, I want to finish strong. And so I think there are, are three things here that can be helpful for for you, whoever your pastor is or your spiritual leader is, as you pray for him, because Paul outlines it here very well for us. And so I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, and talk about this powerful partnership and prayer that can happen between a God-called pastor and God's people. So let's look together at those verses. 
beginning in Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is even this day to stand in this place with Your Word open, having the freedom to share Your Word. And Father, even as I feel that freedom, I, I think about pastors around the world who are in chains, in prison cells, tough places, some who perhaps will give their life for Christ even this day. I pray you would keep them faithful. Surround them with your strength and your peace. And Father, I pray that that the men that you have called will be faithful to the finish line. And so, Father, I pray you would speak to us today in this place from your word. Because unless you speak, I have nothing to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on this occasion that Paul is writing... In the translation I'm reading from, the New King James, uh, the word that is a key to those three requests that he gives. When you see the word that in much of the writing of the Apostle Paul in the English language there, if you see the word that, it's a word of purpose. He's, he said to do something that this may happen. It's almost like the if-then of the Old Testament. If you'll do this, then this will happen. So here he's saying, and pray for me that this will happen in my life. And so he's asking for specific prayer focuses that will undergird and provide a solid foundation for life and ministry, but especially ministry here. So I want you to notice that first phrase after the phrase, and for me, that utterance may be given to me. He's saying here, pray that I will preach God-given messages. God-given messages. Now, 
That seems obvious, doesn't it? Shouldn't we be able to make that assumption that a man who claims to be called by God would preach messages given to him by God? But as you can see throughout history and in our culture, there is so much false preaching that is done in the name of Christ. But there's some keys here in that phrase that utterance may be given to me. Uh, The picture here is a, a message that is helpful for you and for me does not originate with me. I hope we all understand that. I I do not have enough wisdom to bring a message to you that regardless of your age and stage in life, your background, your education level, whatever it might be, I'm not wise enough to bring a message that would connect with everybody, but, but God, by the person of the Holy Spirit, can prompt that through me through His Word. And so he's saying, pray that utterance will be given me. Some would take that, that he's asking that God would give him opportunities. But the deeper message here is that please give prayer for me, that God would give me something to say. Have you ever heard someone speak that had nothing to say? I remember walking out of chapel in seminary and two professors were behind me and one of them was a very distinguished church history professor. I'm not sure who the other voice was, but I could hear them talking and and the other professor turned to the church history professor and said, well, what did you think of chapel today? And all he said was, the only way he could have said less was to talk more. And that was true. It was a strange day in chapel. But just think about what Paul's asking here. Pray that God will give me a message to deliver on his behalf. You see, it's one thing to stand behind this pulpit because I have to preach a sermon. It's another thing when I come behind this pulpit because I have a sermon to preach. Do you hear the difference there? I have a message to deliver. There is an unction. It's a word that means God's power resting upon it when it's been given to you by God and and you're burning inside almost to the point of eruption to get that message into the hands and the hearts of your hearers. That's what Paul is praying for in an utterance. Pray that I will be given an utterance from God is what he's saying. So I would echo that. Would you please pray that I will preach God-given messages? Now, what would be the temptation? Well, there are websites where you can go and get a sermon with slides, with graphics. Uh, There are people that preach other people's sermons all the time. I call that not prophetic plagiarism, but pathetic plagiarism. 
It's always been that way. In Jeremiah, the, the word speaks of false prophets who say things that God didn't tell them to say. And so the key is, who was Paul? Well, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, his whole personal perspective of himself is, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. He doesn't list a long resume and say, uh, numero uno church planner, uh, theological expert with these degrees after their name. He, he just says, I'm an apostle. Now that sounds like a glowing reference of his identity, the word apostle means one that is sent by Christ. He is an emissary for Christ. Yes, he, he is one of those select men that gets that term apostle, but, but as he moves in that ministry, he says, I have been sent as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This wasn't my choice. I didn't choose this. God chose me for this. And I represent Christ with a message from him. And so if you're going to be a representative of someone, you better know their heart and mind, correct? One of the most unenviable positions, I would think, is the spokesman for the president. Although Kaylee McElhaney made it look pretty smooth at times. But just think about that. A person comes and stands behind a podium with the seal of the President of the United States, and we make an assumption once they get there that they have spent hours and hours briefing the President of the United States in conversation with them, knowing what their desires are, their focus is, what they would answer if they were standing behind this podium with that seal on it. We make all of that assumption about a person who stands in that position. Should we not be able to make the same assumption about a man who stands behind a pulpit that he has been briefing in prayer repeatedly, day after day, searching the heart of God, meditating on the Word of God, seeking the face of God so that He can come and represent God to the people of God? We should be able to make that same assumption, shouldn't we? So Paul was saying, it, I'm not here to tickle your ears with my message. This is God's message from God's man, and I'm asking you, he says, to pray that I may be given utterance. If you turn in your Bible back to Jeremiah chapter 1, you find a young man called by God to be his spokesman. He's intimidated at the thought. Almost all of the men that God has used felt unqualified when God called them. It was those who thought they were qualified that failed. 
Jeremiah says in chapter 1, verse 4, God is speaking to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you or set you apart, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. He's saying there, Jeremiah, before you ever made your first decision, I decided your destiny for you. Jeremiah says, then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now here's the telltale sign between a true prophet and a false prophet. A true prophet is a man into whose mouth God has put his words. A false prophet is a man who tries to put words in God's mouth by adding to Scripture or by finding something that might sound right with that verse, but it doesn't jive with the rest of the Bible. Do you get what I'm saying? A false prophet tries to put words in God's mouth. A true prophet or messenger of God allows God to put his word in his mouth to bring to his people. God puts his word in the mouths of his messengers. False prophets draw people to them. True prophets point people to him. And that's the picture here. So Paul says, and pray for me that utterance may be given to me. Pray that I will preach God-given messages. Not new revelation, but God-given message from his word because he has already spoken all he needs to say. Secondly, he, he asks for this type of prayer. Pray that I will preach gospel-driven messages. God-given and gospel-driven messages. Notice the second phrase, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Now just think about that. He is in prison. These are known as prison epistles or prison letters that were sent by Paul to the churches from prison. The the postmark had prison and perhaps his cell number on it. I don't know how they did it back then, but here he sends this prison letter and he's telling them, pray that I'll have opportunity even here in chains to preach a gospel-driven message that I may make known the mystery of the gospel. Uh, The reality is what Paul was saying, the gospel is mysterious to those who have not yet heard it. 
to those who have not yet believed it. To those who reject it, it looks like foolishness and a mystery, but to those who believe it, it is the power of God unto salvation. And so he's saying, pray that I will preach faithfully the mystery of the gospel. The mystery is this, that a holy God who created this world and continues to sustain it would take the form of man and his son, the second person of the Trinity, would come and take on flesh in the form of a child in a manger and he would grow and live a godly, sinless life before the world. He would surround himself with common, unassuming men to be his disciples and that he would live a life of teaching and performing miracles and transforming lives and pouring out the love of God to those who were on the fringe of society. And then he would be falsely condemned and crucified on a cross, physically excruciating, spiritually tormenting, die a death on our behalf that would pay for our sins and our rebellion against God. And then that very one by the power of God would come forth out of the grave resurrected, ascending back into heaven, interceding for us and offering to us eternal, abundant life. That's the mystery. But once you have embraced it, it's, it's not mysterious. The only mysterious thing to me about the gospel, after I've come to barely understand the surface of what God did, is that he would do that for me. But the mystery of the gospel is just preach it when it's accepted, preach it when it's rejected, preach it when it's critiqued, preach it when it's popular, when it's unpopular. Paul told Timothy, preach it in season and out of season. He says, pray that I will boldly proclaim the gospel mystery for which I am in chains. You see, there were those who allowed Paul's chains to discount what he preached. It, it was similar to the, the blab it and grab it gospel. If Paul really knows the power of God, if Paul is such an instrument of God's will and his power, then, then why is he in prison? You see, if you're going to serve Christ, it's going to take you some places you didn't necessarily plan to go. It's going to guide you to do things you didn't plan to do. It's going to rearrange your life. And wherever God takes you, whatever you find yourself doing, if you are pursuing the heart of God, know that God has put you there for a purpose and that purpose centers on the gospel and presenting that gospel to someone out of reach by others, but within your reach. I tend to believe that God was deepening his character, building his integrity, 
shaping him into the image of Christ and sending him as a missionary into that prison for somebody that needed to know him. And that message needed to come from somebody in chains. You see, your story connects with somebody else's story. Some people would label you because of your story. Paul would have been labeled by many a failure and a fraud because of his chains. But that didn't deter him from preaching the gospel message. Something I would warn us all about in our day, it's possible to preach about the gospel but not preach the gospel. People can objectively just refer to the gospel. They can talk about how they're a gospel church or or whatever, but never get down into the heart of what the gospel is like I just presented it a moment ago. It's easy to talk about college, nothing, go to college. It's easy to talk about somewhere that you've never been, but till you've been there, you you can't really talk about it. And perhaps many who don't talk about the gospel have not been transformed by the gospel. I don't know. But be cautious of people that just talk about the gospel, but never really tell you what the gospel is. And be careful when you're presenting the gospel to not just talk about the benefits and the blessings of the gospel. Talk about the basis of the gospel, and that's the person of Christ and his substitutionary death on our behalf, the power of his resurrection. It's not just that God wants to give you peace and hope and help. That all comes, but the the heart of it is God wants to transform you from a a rebel into his child. He wants to remove you from a child of death and darkness to a child of light and life. That's the gospel. And the reality is every text in this Bible that is preached ought to be preached in its gospel context. There are passages in Ephesians about parenting, about children obeying their parents, a a variety of things, but it's written to people who have been transformed by the gospel. It's been written with a heart of transmitting the gospel from your position in that home to someone else. All of that comes to bear on every verse in the Bible. It needs to be preached not just in its immediate context, but in its gospel context. What does this have to say about the gospel or those who have been blessed to come to Christ through the gospel? So first he says, pray that I will preach God-given messages. Pray that I will be given utterance. Secondly, he prays, he requests prayer. Pray that I will preach gospel-driven messages. And then then finally, he uses the word boldly twice. Pray that I will boldly preach God-given, gospel-driven messages. Notice how he words it. That I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains 
that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, today I'm speaking as a satisfied customer. I've I've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can boldly talk to you about that. It's similar to the fact that, that I spent the week, the last part of this week, helping my son move. And our granddaughter is about a year and a half old is learning my nickname that I've tried to get my grandchildren to call me. It, it's gumps is what she's saying now. I'm, I want her to call me grumps just because I, I don't consider myself a grumpy person. I think it's funny. So, so I could talk to you all day about, you know, yeah, I think it's probably going to be cool to be a grandparent, da-da-da-da-da. I'm telling you, it is super cool to be a grandparent. And so here's what would happen. I would leave the room, gumps, and I'd, I'd come back in the room. I'd look at my wife and smile, and I'd walk out of the room, gumps. And, and I would look back in there, she would giggle. I would, guys don't giggle, I would chuckle. And we play this little game, and, and if I wasn't getting enough attention from my son, daughter-in-law, my wife, all I had to do was get up, leave the room, gumps. And so sometimes I just do it to hear her say it. I can tell from experience, being a grandparent is a great thing. Being a parent was a great thing. Being a grandparent's a great thing, and I can speak boldly about that. So if, if I can speak boldly about being a, a dad or a grumps, why would I not speak boldly about the gospel of Christ? Well, there's, there are all kinds of ways that Satan tries to knock you on your heels. The culture says we're too exclusive. And our all-inclusive culture excludes Christians. Have you noticed that? They claim to be inclusive, but they're more exclusive than they want to appear. They don't want us pushing our beliefs on them, but I've kind of felt some pushing of their beliefs on me. Uh, that, that hypocrisy is strange. But I'm not ashamed of the exclusive claims of the gospel. Why? They came from the mouth of my Savior. Jesus said, I am, not I'm kinda. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, nada, no one comes to the Father but by me. The church, the apostles proclaimed, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. I, I don't mind that exclusive claim. I, 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 I've come to know him. I, I believe in him. I trust him. I know that not all roads lead to the same place. If you get on Highway 
19 and, and you leave here, you're not going to make it to Dallas going south. All roads don't go to the same place. There is a broad road that many people find and it leads to hell. There is a narrow road leads to life and to heaven and few there be who find it. I, I believe those exclusive claims of Jesus. But what else could cause a preacher not to boldly proclaim the gospel well if he has an area of disobedience in his life? He may try to preach the demons away, so to speak, and apologetically preach the gospel, or if, if he's not sold out to Christ, he may try not to be dogmatic or whatever label might be put there. But Paul says, pray that I'll never crater and cater to the culture. Notice the promise God gave Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, if you turn back there. He says similar things to Ezekiel the prophet. In verse 17 in chapter 1 of Jeremiah, he's told him, I've ordained you to go and do things you never dreamed you would do. I've got it set out for you, you will have my word in your mouth. What that means is my enemies will be your enemies, my friends will be your friends. So notice what he says in verse 17 of chapter 1 of Jeremiah. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed by their faces lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Isn't that a cool promise he made, Jeremiah? You do what I've called you to do, I'll take care of everything else. You don't look at their faces, you keep seeking my face, he's saying. Don't look into their eyes, you look to the sky at the prize ahead and say everything I command you to speak. He says to young Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1, we won't turn there, but he says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline. He, he's saying, don't be timid. Speak boldly about Christ. And then he goes on and talks about how he's in chains for preaching the gospel there in 2 Timothy. But he says, I may be bound in chains, but the gospel, the word of God is not chained. So pray that I will boldly preach God-given, gospel-driven messages. Because God pours out his power when, when the pastor and the people are on the same page in the same book seeking Him together. The, the whole week builds from 
the proclamation of God's Word. The whole worship service in its entirety, we don't have the singing and the preaching. We have a worship time, and it culminates in the proclamation of the Word and the coming to the table, which reminds us of the gospel and the death of Christ. We we live for the Word of God and its proclamation to the world. And God promises and blesses that partnership between the pastor and the people. Remember when Peter and John got threatened and they went back to the church and they told the people about their threats there in Acts chapter 4. And the church, instead of throwing a pity party, they called a prayer meeting. And at the heart of that prayer, they pray, God, grant that your servants with all boldness may preach your word and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know what happened after they prayed? The place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled afresh with the Spirit of God. And it says, and they spoke the word of God boldly. You know what a primary mark of a Spirit-filled life is? Boldness about the gospel of Jesus. If you are full of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will overflow in you in the telling of the gospel. They spoke the word of God boldly, having been filled afresh with the Spirit of God. Well, if you look at the very last part of the book of Acts, in closing, I want you to look there, Acts chapter 28. Many times we see these prayer requests or these prayers, but we don't take the time to look to see how God answered those prayers. Sometimes we get it almost immediately in the Word. But like if you you look at how Jesus said He was praying for Peter in Luke chapter 22, and then you overlay that on the first few chapters of Acts, the Father was answering that prayer through Peter that Jesus prayed for him. If you look at John chapter 17, what he prayed for the apostles, and you overlay that on the first chapters of Acts, you see the answer to that prayer. And so here, if you look at the end of the book of Acts, you see the answer to this prayer request that Paul gave them. Here's how the book of Acts ends. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received received all who came to him. That means he was under house arrest, basically. He received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Isn't that great? So I would take it that Ephesus took that prayer concern very seriously. And God answered their prayers. Here the word is all confidence. There the request was with all boldness, and no one was hindering him from preaching the gospel of Christ. God honors a prayer partnership between his pastors and his people. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. 
First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.